So uh, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, of course, is our text. I hope at this point that everyone has it memorized. If you don't, you have a little bit of work to do. you got to cram at the end here the last uh, two weeks. So let's say it together. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Excellent. You know, I find that when it comes to each one of these words, it's really important to define them uh, as we go through this series because it's topical about each word. And some of those words really converge. They're very close, and it's easy to conflate them. So you can have uh, gentleness and kindness, very close to each other. Kindness and patience, very close to each other. And when you when you find how all those things interface with each other, goodness and faithfulness, you have to really define each word in order to get the depth of what God's trying to say. There's a reason why each of those words were listed, and in order to get the nuance to understand what God's giving us in each one of those uh, words, we have to define it. And so if you look at the English definition, of the word gentleness. I took a number of different dictionaries and kind of converged them all into uh, one common definition. And this is what it looks like. It, gentleness is about cons- being considerate, not harsh, not severe, and not steep, but gradual, amiable, and chivalrous. See, there's two, two things at work there. One is talking about a gentle slope. So a gentle slope as opposed to a steep slope. And that's kind of like something that's physically gentle. But then there's also the relational side of it, which has to do with the amiable, uh, chivalrous, not harsh, you know, that type of thing. And when we look across the pages of Scripture and we find the word gentleness, there's some contextual clues that really help us. In general, when you find the word gentleness in Scripture, all across the New Testament especially, gentleness has to do a lot with how people deal with each other in the midst of conflict. So if they don't agree about something, the Bible urges people to be gentle with one another in the midst of that conflict. Particularly, gentleness in the New Testament has a lot to do with the words that we use how we communicate with each other. So uh, this idea of gradual, slow, easy, amiable, chivalrous, with respect. You know, uh, as you know, one of my favorite uh, pastimes is surfing. And when you go to the beach in the summer, the waves are really small. And so there's not much surfing to be had. But there's uh, something that's uh, recently come to the East Coast from uh, Hawaii and the West Coast, which is called uh, SUP boards, stand-up paddle boards. Have you seen this where uh, people kind of are just standing out there in the ocean and they're standing on a board just paddling along, almost like they're paddling a kayak, but they're standing up on a board. And you can also surf with these things, and you can surf on waves that are only about this big because there's so much flotation on them. It doesn't take much to, to make them surf. Well, I have a couple buddies down at the, the shore who let me borrow their SUP boards because there wasn't enough uh, uh, wake for enough uh, swell for um, the, the short board to really float that well. And I found that it was a whole new game. When I would get on the board and I'd ride the wave, I'm used to a little board. And these little boards, if you have a nice wave with a lot of speed, you can snap turns. That's what it's called, a snap turn. If you're carving on the face of a wave, you can turn it really fast. But these long, these big, long boards, when you turn them, if you try to turn it real fast, it's just going to go like, and you're like expecting it to move, and it doesn't, and you just fall off the board. And the guys who were letting me borrow the boards, they were all laughing at me. They're like, you got to learn to finesse that thing, buddy, you know, because I'm used to being able 
world will snap all around. And, and that word finesse, finesse has something to do with gentleness. Okay? Finesse it. It's slow movements. Long, slow movements instead of quick, snappy movements. And that's why it says, not harsh, not quick, not steep, but slow, gentle, amiable. And that's the, across the pages of Scripture, hey, Ted, man, good to see you, buddy. Across the pages of Scripture, uh, there's, this, there's this picture of if we're going somewhere with someone, we need to be gentle and slow. Now, there's two Greek words that we translate into gentleness, okay? Two Greek words. You know, again, it's funny how sometimes we have one English word, but underneath of it is a number of different words that actually mean different things. And you know that probably the most common one is the word love. When we say love, but in the Greek, there's all sorts of different words for love that we all put into one category in the word love. Well, it's the same thing with gentleness. There's two words that we tend to translate. And, uh, and, and those two words are similar but different. One of them is apikia. And apikia, that word has to do with general courtesy. Okay, that's it's it's similar to the to the Greek word phileo love, brotherly love. It's that we show common respect to each other. Okay, so when we're in conversation, we use appropriate etiquette, appropriate manners, say please, say thank you, talk nicely to each other, don't be harsh, show general respect to each other. That's a level of gentleness. We translate that word apikia into gentleness. That can also be forbearance, which are not forbearance. That can also be uh, fairness. Uh, so being fair, equal, you know, being nice to each other. But then the, the second word, prahotes, prahotes, that Greek word, actually, that one means we translate that another way as well. And that word is meekness. Okay, so gentleness and meekness are the exact same word in the Scripture. It's a, it's a Greek word called prahotes. And that word where it says the, the meek will inherit the earth, that could be translated the gentle will inherit the earth. That word, the meek will inherit the earth, is the exact same word that we have here in Galatians 5 that says gentleness. So this word, this fruit of the Spirit, could be either gentleness or it could be meekness. It's the same Greek word, no different. We translate it different, but it's the same word. Okay, so what we're saying is is this prohotes is different than just the general respect of being nice with everyone. This particular word that's the fruit of the Spirit has to do with meekness. And what is what, what's the difference between meekness and the general respect? I mean, one has to do with I'm being nice to everyone, showing a basic respect. But the difference between meekness, prohotes, this word carries with it an understanding that I'm in a position of advantage. That's what it means. So if I have power or if I have strength or if I have advantage in a relationship, if I am now extending gentleness, if I'm restraining my power in order to be generous to you, that is prohotes, that is meekness, that is gentleness. This is a gentleness that's not just using my manners and common courtesy with everyone. It's saying I could go harder and instead I, I have the authority, but I am going lighter on you. It carries with it an understanding that there's authority and power in the situation. This word gentleness here, okay? So uh, this is what Paul, do you remember, this is so funny, I love this, in 1 Corinthians uh, 4, Paul's dealing with 
uh, the church in Corinth. And they think this thing about Paul, they get so upset because, you know, you remember, and in, in we went through that big series in 1 Corinthians, and remember what they got all worked up about? They loved when the super apostles would come in, and they'd speak with profound language, and they'd bring great authority and all of that, and they'd push, and they'd pound the pulpit, and, you know, and they loved that. And then Paul would come in and just tell them the truth, you know, and then they were like, they didn't really have respect for him. They're like, you don't seem to carry a whole lot of authority. And then this is one of the things that Paul says to them in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 21. He says this, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or a whip or with love in a spirit of gentleness, meekness? That's that word. So do you want me to come with the rod? Do you want me to pound you? Or do you want me to come with prohotes, a position where I have authority, but I'm choosing to be gentle with you, okay? And that's, that, again, is carrying that picture that gentleness, that this fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, assumes that you're coming from a position of authority, coming from a position of advantage, coming from a position of power. And, uh, you know, when it comes to dealing with relationships where one person has an advantage and the other person is disadvantaged, The opposite, what would be the opposite? If a person who has the power and the advantage, instead of being gentle, if they went all the way the other way and were super harsh, what would we call that? Cruel? It's a good word. Abusive, maybe? So if, if, if I am abusing, that means I'm abusing my position of authority. I'm abusing my power to be harsh and cruel. Okay, and so when we look at our society right now, we look at the laws in our society, our our world has come a long way with trying to put laws in place that protect from abuse of authority, don't they? I I mean, that's we've so we've grown a lot in when it comes to child abuse, when it comes to spousal abuse, when it comes to sexual exploitation, when it comes to all sorts of things like this. There's many laws that have been put in place uh, to help protect the disadvantaged. But it's funny how no matter how many laws are put in place, the problem doesn't seem to go away, does it? It doesn't really seem to go away. And we would think that it would really curb all the behavior, but, you know, the fear of the repercussions of being caught in the abuse of power don't seem to be able to stop abuse. And why is that? Well, there's a number of different reasons, but one of the reasons is because when it comes to the psyche of fallen humanity, when it comes to what happens in our hearts and our minds because of sin, it's really complicated how we interface with each other. And, and law can only go so far to stop those things, right? So uh, let me put it this way. If you're out on the playground and one kid jacks another kid, pop, that kid's going to get in trouble, maybe suspended from school, right? But what about the kid who was over in the corner and he was kind of making faces at that kid, you know, sticking his tongue out or whatever? If he gets caught, well, of course, he's not going to get in quite as much trouble, Because he didn't break the other kid's nose, you know? And so there's degrees. But sometimes, somewhere along the line, there is stuff that the laws don't punish for and that you can get away with that isn't extending kindness, that isn't showing courtesy, that isn't showing apikia. It isn't isn't showing the general courtesy and kindness and respect. And a person feels disrespected. And then they want to react in a way that's not gentle. And things continue to escalate. And somewhere along the line, the law comes in and says... You can't cross this line. But underneath of that line, the law doesn't necessarily get into that. And the problem is, is that we as, as selfish individuals find out how to exploit the area where the law doesn't require things of us. And we get in there and we needle each other and do things like that. But the law can only dive so far down without completely micromanaging our lives. 
And then at some point, once we get beyond that, someone does something and they react and they have to deal with the consequences. And it is what it is. I mean, that's just living in a fallen world. Anyone who has two children knows the third law of thermodynamics, which is for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And when you find the two children interacting with each other and, and something explosive happened, it, it's always like, you know, you, you got to put on your uh, inquisitive hat and, and get in there, you know, and now you're the inspector trying to figure out what happened, you know. And I, here I am, Sherlock Holmes. How do we get to the bottom of this? And you know what's always at the bottom of it? Sin. It's always at the bottom of it. And it didn't start when this one looked at this one this way. It started when they were born into sin. That's when it started because there's deficiency of confidence and a desire for selfishness. And in the midst of that, it sets the stage for things that are going to be unfair. And in the midst of that unfairness, we want to take advantage back. And any time that we can get a hold of a little bit of power or advantage, we want to abuse it in order to protect ourselves and get a little bit of advantage. And out the door goes gentleness, goes meekness. The Bible decides much more than the law to get specific about how each of us needs to pursue gentleness and where each of us find power and how we deal with that. It gets into it specifically in gender roles, which is really interesting. This word gentleness finds itself wrapped around genders at times, which I think is very appropriate. Because what I find all the time when it comes to to counseling couples who are in duress is a little bit of gentleness could go a really, really long way in helping each other out. It's obvious, I think, in our world why uh, where where it is that men have certain advantages. We've lived in a male-dominant society. There's the physical strength of men. There's all of that. But what might not be quite as obvious is where women have advantages. And the scriptures get into both of those things. It talks about both of those things. And so if you get upset about what the scriptures say about it, remember, don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) It's just the scripture. No, I'm just kidding. Here here we go. This is, uh, we're going to look at what the scriptures have to say about the word gentleness regarding, first, regarding gender. And we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter to find this. 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet Spirit. That's the word meek right there, prohotes, a meek, gentle, and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. Oh, no, we didn't need to hear that. That's a, that's a sure way to help men abuse power, isn't it? You are her daughters if you do what is right. Listen to this. And do not give way to fear. Do not give way to fear. So we'll stop there and then we'll come back to the male side of it. So what is the advantage that a woman has? 
You know, what is the advantage? It's clear here where he says, don't abuse this power, but instead go this way. And what is it? He says, don't let your beauty be revealed with outward adornment. Don't worry about dolling yourself up and gaining advantage on the outside. When do, when do people hunt for deer? For bucks? When do people hunt for bucks? Yeah, when they're in rut, right? Why? Because they're dumb. Because when rut comes, they're dumb. You know? So they could be smart animals, really good in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, the girl goes by, and they lose all ability to think, right? And they just lose it. And guess what, guys? We're the same way, aren't we? I mean, there's a part of us that no matter what makes sense, there's a certain thing about the way God created us with a weakness for women. A weakness for women. That's true. That is just truth. God purposely created us with a weakness toward women. And man, when they reveal a certain level of beauty, we melt. We're weak. And God understands this, and Peter understands it. And what he's saying here is, women, you are in a place of advantage when it comes to beauty. You are more beautiful than men. And men are drawn to beauty in this way. Don't exploit that strength. And what's more is, is you can find a little bit more, because what it does is, is it says underneath of it, what is the deeper beauty? The deeper beauty is that of a meek and quiet spirit. Why is it tied to the word quiet? Why is meekness tied to the word quietness? Remember, so much of this word gentleness and quietness has to do with conversation, how we deal with each other in conversation. You know where one of the weakest parts of men are? And I'm not talking about physical parts, although that will reveal a lot if you get into that. But if you talk about revealing what the the emotional weak part of a man is, it's his ego, Right? And that's why men want respect all the time is because we have fragile egos. And the way that a man is communicated to, it's a big deal. That's why consistently when it talks about the roles of men and women, it says, women, the way you submit to your husbands, it says submit to one another in love. And then it defines how we each submit to one another, how we curb our advantage and help out with their disadvantage. And the way it says to women, be careful with the way you deal with your outward beauty and... Be careful with your words and the way you communicate toward your husband. Why? Because they have fragile egos and because when it comes to sexuality, there's a problem, (laughs) you know? So be careful on both levels, on both levels. That's, That's the advantage. Now, here's how this works. Here's how this works. If a woman wants to be beautiful and a woman does want to be beautiful, every woman wants to be beautiful and wants to be seen as beautiful. And that we'll get to the other side of, uh, of this and how it goes the other way. But if, you, if you're afraid, it says don't give in to the fear. Remember, that was how it ended. Don't give in to fear. Why? What does that have to do with it? Well, if you're in a society that's, that tends to be male dominant, and if you're in a society where men are strong and, and they don't get it sometimes and they're not always going to be looking out for my needs or whatever, well, then if a woman is afraid, what's she going to want to do? Figure out how to protect herself and how to take care of, take advantage. What's her own resource? What does she have to use so that she can get what she needs, you know? 
And so there's a couple natural places. One is with beauty and the other is with words. Okay, they're the two big places where a woman can take advantage, where she can gain control. And when she's afraid, she will use those two things inappropriately to take control. But if she can trust God, then instead of trying to use those things for control, then she can hold back and she can be meek about her beauty and she she can be quiet. And I don't mean quiet like not talking. I mean not super critical or bitey with the mouth. And when that happens, it reveals a deeper level of beauty. And guess what? It makes that woman very, very attractive. Think about this for a second. There are women all over Hollywood who have all sorts of physical beauty, and yet they reveal oftentimes by the headlines that you read that there's a deep level of insecurity underneath of them, right? And they're doing things all the time to try to fill up a void. And even though there's all this physical beauty, that physical beauty is by no means building confidence. What it's actually doing is trying to use that exterior commodity, that resource, in order to gain advantage because there's a sense of deficiency underneath. And then you look at someone like Mother Teresa. Have you ever seen pictures of Mother Teresa? Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. On the physical side of things, she is not what Hollywood would call beautiful. You know? And yet, even when I look at a picture of Mother Teresa, I still see beauty when you look at the smile that she carries and what's in her eyes. And every one of those wrinkles reveals the character of God. And I guarantee you that if we could see into the spiritual world and we closed our eyes and we looked and, and, and all we could see is spirits, there would be these, these women who carry immense beauty from Hollywood. And then you, you take this woman, Mother Teresa, old, decrepit, like tiny, fading away woman, and, and you put them next to each other. If you closed your eyes and could only see the spiritual world, I guarantee you our entire world would yearn and gravitate to be as close to Mother Teresa as possible. And there would be absolutely no question who would be attractive and who we would want to be friends with. We would be drawn to her because her inner beauty comes out. Why? Because she wasn't afraid. Because she had confidence in God that her beauty was found in him. And so she became gentle and she didn't worry about the outside and her words weren't bitey. She she showed great graciousness and she was gentle toward people. Extremely gentle. And it put out a beauty that was amazing. Amazing level of beauty. Spectacular when I think about it. I just, I just love the way that God designs that. I love it so much. That's how God uses the word gentleness in regard to women. You know? That when it comes to how the outward beauty is and how the, 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 the communication is, that there's a reserved nature to that. It's constrained. It's not taking advantage with the mouth or with the the body, but instead it's constraining those and allowing the inner beauty to come out. Now, some of the strengths of men and advantages of men are very obvious to see. The NFL is full of men, you know? It's not full of women. The NFL is full of men. When it comes to the Olympics, you know, there's male sports and there's female sports. There's a reason why. 
You know, I don't know why the corporate world is still dominated by men even more than women. That might just be a society thing or it might still have some things to do with the different genetic makeup. I don't really know. What I do know is, is that there is a very obvious level in which men have some advantages in society. We're all well aware of that, and we've seen the abuse of it many times. When it comes to how God asks men to, to handle their end of it, watch in verse 7 as it continues on. Husbands, in the same way, I think that's really interesting, in the same way, In the same way that they, with their advantage, these women don't use your advantage against men. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now, that word considerate, that is knowledge of, awareness of, having the appropriate estimate of, being fully knowledgeable of. So be fully knowledgeable, men, husbands, as you live with your wives. And what is it that they're knowledgeable of? Treat them with respect. Now, this word respect, that has to do with value, okay? The word, the root word of that is precious, is what it means. Treat them with the knowledge. As you live with them, understand how precious they are. That's what it means, okay? Treat them with the preciousness as the weaker partner. Now, that word weaker has absolutely nothing to do with anything except for one thing, physical strength. That's what it means. As the less physically strong partner. It doesn't mean mentally weaker, emotionally weaker. As a matter of fact, the Bible would never say that because that wouldn't be true. <laughs> you know, uh, What it says is as the physically weaker partner, that's, that's a physical term, the Greek word there. So it says, as you live with this one who may be physically weaker, understand how precious they are. And as heirs with you, that means you cannot receive what you need without them as heirs with you, co-heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. You can't receive life without her. Realize how precious she is. And that's not just life in reproduction, although, of course, that's true. It takes two of us to to reproduce life, which is an important thing to remember in the midst of all the, the stuff about sexuality right now. But also, when it comes to Uh, the receiving of life ourselves, if we want the fullness of life, we have to understand we can only receive it as co-heirs together. Remember, men, this is what it's saying, to think about how precious she is as you live with her. She's an heir to life with you. And then it says, "So so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. What does that mean? Well, what it means is, is I could say, God, man, I want to go so, I want to do so much with my life. If I'm a driven man, this is what I want to accomplish for you and with my life, God. If I'm, if I'm a godly man who's wanting to do stuff for God, God, this is what I want to do with my life. If I'm not godly, this is just, this is the, how I want to stick my chest out. You know, this is what I want to accomplish with my life. Here's what I want. I want this to happen. I want that to happen. I want to have this kind of house. I want to do this kind of thing. I want to accomplish all this. And what the Bible's saying is your prayers, will be completely hindered. You will not see the fulfillment of what you really want in life until you learn to know how precious your wife is. Until you know that, you will not receive the fulfillment of your prayers. You need that. You need to know how precious your wife is in order to receive it. That's what the scriptures are saying here. You know, um, there's uh, this word that we use when we deal with men 
who are not harsh, but who know how to consider other people. What do we call them? No. A gentleman. Some might call them wimps. But we used to call them gentlemen. That's what we used to call them. We used to call them gentlemen. This word right here. Gentlemen. Sometimes we do. We hope that there will be gentlemen. And what that means is, is men who have plenty of strength, but they know how to restrain that strength in order to be appropriate to other people and extend them common courtesy, apikia, and to show them meekness and forbearance, prahotes. Okay? And that is what a gentleman is. Remember the old animated movie, Beauty and the Beast? It's all about this. It's all about it. That's what the movie, the whole movie is about. Remember, there's two men in the movie. One of them is a beast, you know, and the other one's a true beast, Gaston. You know, he's the true beast, and the other guy still has fear. Both of them have fear, but but the, and then there's this woman, Belle. Remember, and and Belle, of course, they make her like an angel. She's perfect and can do no wrong. Although she does do one thing wrong. She uh, she uh, has an inappropriate estimation of the feelings of the beast. She's not fragile with his ego. Okay, Um, she's also not fragile with Gaston's ego, nor should she have been, you know, and Gaston's trying to hit on her and all of this stuff. And it never works out. Gaston, of course, is the big the big guy man on campus or whatever. And at one point she is trying to get away from Gaston and he's trying to woo her and it's not working because he's so self-centered and he's anything but a gentleman. And here is the words of the interaction that Gaston has with LeFou, his yes man. It's right after he kind of gets rejected and he says, who does she think she is? That girl's tangled with the wrong man. She's the enemy now. There's the war of the sexes, and he's not being a gentleman. LeFou says, that's right. And then Gaston says, no one says no to Gaston. He's going to try to abuse his power. Dismissed, rejected, publicly humiliated. Why, it's more than I can bear. His fragile ego is hurt. And to which LeFou says, you want more beer? And Gaston says, this is a total male conversation. And Gaston says, what for? Nothing helps. I'm disgraced. And LeFou says, who? You never, Gaston. You've got to pull yourself together. And then they go into the song and it says, every guy here would love to be you, Gaston. Even when taking your lumps, there's no man in town as admired as you. You're everyone's favorite guy. Everyone's awed and inspired by you. And it's not very hard to see why. No one's as slick as Gaston. No one's as quick as Gaston. No one's neck is incredibly thick as Gaston. For there's no man in town half as manly. Perfect, a pure paragon. You can ask any Tom, Dick, or Stanley, and they'll tell you whose team they prefer to be on. No one's been like Gaston, a kingpin like Gaston. No one's got a swell cleft in his chin like Gaston. As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. My, what a guy that Gaston. No one fights like Gaston or douses lights like Gaston in a wrestling wrestling match. No one bites like Gaston, for there's no one as burly and brawny. They go on about his biceps despair and being all covered with hair, and he decorates only with antlers, you know? And uh, there's this sense of bravado and gusto of he's having to be puffed back up by his friends because his fragile ego is hurt by the girl who didn't show him the respect that he wanted by being drawn to him. And so he needs to stroke his ego, you know, and all of that. And it's the, for him now, you know, she is an object to be acquired. That's what, it, that's what it is. She's an object to be acquired. The outward beauty is all that matters, and he wants, to, she wants, she, he wants another trophy. 
anyone's bell. Well, she ends up with a beast, and the beast has his own fears because his ego has been terribly trashed. He's been disrespected all over the place because he's ugly and because no one respects him. And in time, they find an inner beauty in one another is the whole idea. It's all Hollywood, of course, and the, the beast is transfixed and eventually transformed by her beauty, which is beyond what's actual reality, because none of us are transformed by each other. We're only transformed by Christ. Now, here's how it goes. Male and female, we have advantages over each other, and we are called to be respectful and gentle with one another. But it's not only in the genders. There's one other major category that the scriptures talk about, and it's those who have truth versus those who don't have truth. In Galatians 6, 1, which is just a couple verses, three verses after Galatians 5, 23 to 24, it says that we're to walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, not be harsh with one another. And then it switches to the next chapter, which there are no chapters in the original. This is all part of the same thought as the fruit of the Spirit. And it says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Prohotes. You are the one in power. You have the truth. You have the advantage. They are disadvantaged right now because they're not seeing the truth. It is your responsibility to lead your brother and sister back to Christ. You must do this to be obedient to Christ. You actually have to take initiative and go restore your brother or sister back to the truth. That's our responsibility. But we're in a place of advantage, so we must be gentle. They're not in a good spot right now. It's not going to be easy. Their ego is not going to want to receive this. We have to be gentle. And what's more is, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. What will I be tempted to do? To abuse my position of authority. Prohotes, to be judgmental, to be condescending, to think I'm better than them. Meekness is close to humility. Prohotes is also sometimes translated as humility i got to be careful. It goes one more time and shows us another place where we have advantage in truth, and that's in 1 Peter, back in the same passage we were in 1 Peter chapter 3. These, uh, this word is used again, and it's in, in uh, th- this time it's further down in the chapter. Um, and I, I think I only gave Dave verse 15 to put up on the screen there, but I'm going to read to you from verse 13. Um, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Listen to this. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. If someone's going to take advantage of you and and you're going to be disadvantaged, don't fear. Verse 15, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay? So here it is again. If I have the knowledge of the truth, if Christ is my Lord, then I don't need to be afraid of what anyone can do to me because I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven and I am an approved child of God. So I am in a distinct place of advantage. And if everyone else has to worry about controlling their circumstances, I don't have to. I can submit to an inappropriate governing authority. Why? Because Christ is my true king. If people are taking advantage of me, it's okay. Why? Because Christ is the one who truly protects me. And I can stand in hope no matter what my circumstances are. And if I do, I should expect that people are going to say to me, why in the world do you still have hope? And I should answer to them this with gentleness and respect. I should say, you know why 
Because I, find, I found out that I can't control my life, and I'm a total mess. And yet Jesus always seems to provide for me. That's gentleness. It's not, because here's the truth, moron, and you need to get, on, you need to get in, 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 in line. And so often that's been the message of the church to the world. Hello, get in line. You're missing it. You guys are clueless. That's not gentleness. What this is saying is respond to the world around us. If we are in a position where we know Christ is Lord, then with gentleness say, man, we're, on the, we're in the same place. You know, we are in the same place. I need Christ. You need something too. I've just found him to be really helpful. And I think he can help you. Gentleness, gentleness. That's it. This is why Jesus says the meek, will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth because those who have strength find that strength effective when they use gentleness. Jesus is the example. He comes as king, comes into Jerusalem, gentle and riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9, quoted, quoted in five, uh, Matthew 5. Gentle, riding on a donkey. What does Jesus say to us? Come, this is how he says it. This is in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know what gentleness reveals? It does not reveal weakness. You know what a gentleman reveals? Not weakness, strength. This is not a lack of authority. When Jesus gets off the colt, the foal of a donkey, this tiny little thing instead of the war horse, what's the first thing he does? He goes into the temple and he wreaks havoc. And he tears that place apart with strength and with authority. But he's not trying to come at people mean. He's trying to defend what he needs to defend. But he comes so low on the colt, a foal of a donkey. And we are called to bring immense authority to this world. True authority doesn't need to abuse power. It has the ability to be gentle with confidence. Oh, that we would have the confidence of knowing that we are loved children of God, that we are living for all of eternity with him. And we don't have to defend God or defend ourselves. We have to help lead those who are disadvantaged around us. And when we do it, we do it with truth and with gentleness. Amen? Let's pray.